I've been sharing for these past few weeks around the importance of us understanding that God is not just my father, but that God is our father. And within the context of Christianity, the, you know, I've been challenging you around the fact that many of us have a perspective, especially depending on a denomination that you belong to, one of the 30,000 uh, that are not Roman Catholic or Orthodox or, um, you know, or one of the, the sects that are in, you know, within those those branches of Christianity as well, you know, and there's so many of these different, um, you know, contexts. Many of us feel like we're the only ones that can claim God as our father. Come on, somebody. So I've been challenging you to realize that God, even though there's schisms and even though there's breaks and even though there's imperfections and fragmentation and stuff that's happened throughout all of the, the world and there's so many denominations and all of this, that the fact of the matter is that God can still cause beautiful things to come from that which is broken. In fact, his body was broken for us. Oh, I didn't feel like preaching that early, but I just, somebody just, his body was broken. Come on. There's blood that came out of his. In fact, he rose from death and still has holes in his hands and still has the capability of. So it's amazing to be say, how can Jesus body be broken and all this stuff and whatever. And, he, you know, and we still are. No, we still can be one. And the prayer of Christ in John chapter 17 is that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And he made that declaration. And that is our heart. Our heart is that Christians, especially in such a time where there's, where, you know, uh, fear is pervasive and everybody's presenting and postulating all sorts of things for us to believe in and jump on and hold to. Christians need to stand up and rally around the things that we agree on and you know I told you it's like it's very dangerous and it's abusive in many regards when you belong to or when you have the view and the mindset that you're the only one the us for and no more mentality and it's a challenge it's a challenge and I shared with you what happened with my last my wife last week how she was cornered by some individuals who tried to get her to get the Holy Ghost, you know, uh, in their context because she didn't have it until she came to their context. And they pressured her and they challenged her in that regard. But can I tell you this, you know, I didn't get to get this far, but can I tell you that I used to be one of those people too? In fact, wasn't around the Holy Ghost and in her case speaking in tongues, but for me it was around a day of worship. I grew up in a context that taught that our religion, our branch of Christianity was the only true one and only people that went to, day, went to church on the day that, I, that we went to church were going to end up in heaven. Come on, somebody. And everybody else, you know, was going to get the mark of the beast. Uh, I'm doing a lot of air quotes today. I just realized, you know, because a lot of this stuff is just like, where are you coming up with these things? You know, like, but the day of worship would be the seal of God. And if you didn't go to church on that day, it would be the seal of God. And one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done, one of the most regretful things that I've done, because before I talk about other, you know, how, how many of you know Paul says, all these, he, said, he talks about a whole bunch of people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then people get excited and they're like, oh yeah, you know, these people aren't going and these people aren't going and how cool. But then he goes and says, but such were some of you. But you were washed and you were cleansed and you were sanctified. And he goes on and he talks about all this stuff. And how, how many of you don't have amnesia about where you came from? Come on, somebody. Because see, that's, the, that's why, that's a lot. And I, I don't even mean to go here. But one of the biggest reasons why Christians do not unify with others or are ineffective in general is because we have spiritual amnesia. 
And God cleans us up to the point where we forget that we were a whole mess. Not a half mess. Any witnesses other than me? I mean, a half, uh, an entire mess before we came to Jesus. You know, when I look back and I'm like, man, I was a part of this thing. I was, you know, and I, and, and I ended up pastoring in this organization. And, you know, when I just started, I've been pastoring. This year is 17 years of pastoral ministry for me. It's crazy, man. It's been, a, it's been a long time. And I planted my first church when I was 20. Some of you have already heard that. Um, but for those who are new to the game, you know, just understanding what it is that, you know, the journey a little more. And so I was 20 and I planted my first church. And this church was a part of that organization. But I had friends, ministerial friends, friends that were, you know, that belonged to what we would have considered churches that went to church on the wrong day. And so we were friends with them. And I had friends with them. The thing is this. You know like how people do like missionary dating? Like, y'all never heard of missionary dating before? Okay. You know where you date with someone, date someone with the, with the desire that you're going to change them? You know? And some of y'all end up with something. Okay. Mission impossible. You know? But we like would have friends. They'd be like, it's okay for you to have friends with those people. Right? But the agenda is for you to be able to change them you know just look for an opportunity to you know tell them that they shouldn't eat certain foods because that was another thing for us you know you can't eat this because a pork chop was going to send you to hell uh like it has more power than what jesus did on the cross oh y'all don't even this is type of stuff and I, I can't get into the depths of the legalism and the things that were that were in that context that i espouse i'm not saying that's the case with everyone i don't want to generalize but i'm saying that was my experience right and so in that moment man never forget with these friends that i had we had a conference it was our one year church anniversary and i invited all my friends and they were cool they were cool to hang with me but i had an agenda and so all these pastor friends that I had, I invited them to the church. They came to the church. They hung out with us at this anniversary. I even brought them up front. In fact, Pastor Chantal was there too. Brought them up front. She was just my girlfriend at the time. And had them sit in the, you know, what we call the pulpit or the rostrum in the chairs. And they were sitting there and whatever. And I proceeded, once they were there, I'm like, gotcha. And I proceeded for the next, like, 30 minutes no no no. probably was more like an hour <laughs> or maybe more to preach a message to them on why they are wrong and why people who worship on the day they worship on are going to hell and i never forget how horrible like it looking back just on what it was that i did like even if i thought what i had to share was right how on earth is it godly for you to corner people, put them up front, and then blast them through what it is that you are sharing and essentially tell them they're going to hell in that moment? And granted, it was not that my intention was bad, like I really cared about them, but it was horrible that I thought that I was better than them in their experience to the point where I thought that, I, that it was right for me to do what I did and to corner them and to blast them. So before I talk about people cornering my wife and telling, them to say, telling her to say Jesus really fast and to lose her jaw and she don't have the Holy Ghost and all this stuff, I too am someone that grew up in that. And I thank God for deliverance. Come on, somebody. Thank God that I learned that 
you know that that Jesus is bigger than a day of worship how many of you know that the fact of the matter is that Jesus although Christians and this is one of the things that unify us Christians gather regularly on Sunday on the first day of the week and the reason why is because Jesus rose from death Jews historically worshiped on Saturday and they kept the Sabbath as, long, as well as many other Sabbaths. And this is why you still see them honoring and, and observing the Sabbath day today. But how many of you know that in Christ we are not Jews? In fact, there's neither Jew nor... Oh man, I got any Bible readers in here? Neither Jew nor Gentile nor, nor Greek nor bond nor free. Fact of the matter is he's not saying that we don't have these national distinctions or that I'm not black no more or none of those things and my background and all those things no longer matter. But what he's saying is as it pertains to my spirituality at the ground of the cross, the, the ground is level. Come on, somebody. And the fact of the matter is I'm not celebrating a day that Jesus died and was still in the grave. The reason why we are Christians, come on, 1 Corinthians 15, is because he rose from the dead on the third day with all power bible makes it clear if jesus didn't rise from death i'd still be in my sins so that's why christians gather regularly on the first day because that's the day that is tied to our salvation this is why jesus says oh i love the bible matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says come unto me all you who labor and heavy laden and i will give you rest he's preaching to people that used to look for rest in a saturday come on somebody and in other days and he says no stop looking in a day and start now looking to me all those things colossians 2 16 and 17 he says were a shadow come on somebody they were just a type the shadow of the speaker is not the speaker it's just saying that the speaker is near in the presence come on somebody but when I get a hold of the speaker I don't need to hold on to the shadow no more and there are many people that have been holding on to the shadow called for example the Sabbath when Jesus is the substance and this is why now you want to observe holy days Go, you can do that if you want to but the fact of the matter is there are some things that have pointed to Jesus and in fact this is why I rebuke myself and what I did way back in that time because I was one that was trying to think and was a part of something that thought that we were the only ones that had it and everybody else that chose to do something different uh, that they were wrong and that they were going to hell I love the Bible anybody else love the Bible look Romans 14 verse 1 uh, to three and five and six I'm just gonna read this really quickly for those of you who might be in here because it's a lot of people that are running around trying to get you and tell you there are people for those of you who are new Christians because we were always baptizing people and people are coming to faith those of you who are watching online that are like oh man you know you need to understand or what does this have to do with me you need to understand there are people who like what Paul says are gonna try to spy out your liberty in other words spy out your freedom to come and tell you you didn't get it right what you're doing is not the best way and they're going to try to pull you away and tell you you need to stop eating this or you need to start eating this or you need to all of that sorts of stuff you got to beware of those things oh can i just warn you here we go romans 14 verse 1 through 3 says one person believes that he may eat everything while the weak person eats only vegetables <laughs> he just throws some shade at uh vegans and vegetarians and stuff but he says, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not one who abstains 
pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Verse 5, watch this, talking about, ver- talking about days. It says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So here he talks about dietary stuff and day observance. And the fact of the matter is, he's making it, and what he's not saying is that it's okay for you to observe a holy day to try and substitute for having the substance that's Jesus. But there are others, there are people who still will observe like Passover and things of this nature with, uh, to, to point them as, <coughs> excuse me, as a holy day to point them to Jesus. And so it, it reminds them of where they came from or they might observe a, a carve out a day or a Sabbath to focus on and it still points them back to Jesus and they hold to Christ. But not in substitution of it or as of an observance of the law to make it think that that is going that day of worship is going to seal you and that's going to keep you. The Bible says the Holy Ghost is the seal. Come on, somebody. And no, we don't worship on the day that Jesus was just stuck in the grave and that's a day that we honor. No, we have Jesus and we celebrate the risen Christ on the day he rose up. But he makes it clear that if someone decides to do that, you don't cast judgment on them, even if you disagree with them. And so I was wrong because that was what I was doing. There are brothers and sisters who worship and who observe holy days and all this stuff. And although I disagree with them, the fact of the matter is that we can disagree, but we still can be brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you with me on today? Christianity been in existence, I've been telling you, for over 2,000 years. There's no way that your sect or your branch that just came into existence in the last couple hundred years knows everything. Perspective, and this is what I've been challenging you guys around with, and this is why Jesus says, just as a reiteration, in Mark 9, verse 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. And so you're wondering, I want, I, want you to, I want to start here and give you point number one because last week I was saying all sorts of stuff and I didn't even get to get to my points. And I got a little frog in my throat. I promise it's not the Rona. Here we go. It just, the thing went down the wrong way. Here it is. Point number one for you. Write this down if you will because we have to find common ground instead of just looking at troubled waters. Connect with other Christians around the essentials of the faith. So when you're talking about finding common ground, we've got to connect with other Christians around the essentials of the faith. So you're like, okay, well, you know, what if we differ? Like, does it matter? Like, is it that big of a deal? Well, he said we're not supposed to cast judgment. I just talked about like a holy day observance and all this sorts of stuff. Fact of the matter is, there is always something, and and when I say uh, essentials, the things that actually matter. There are things that we disagree on that actually don't matter. That it's okay for you to hold to your personal opinion. There should be some water in my bag there if you can in the thing. Can you just pass that to me, Mark? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and so we connect with other Christians around the essentials. Everybody say the essentials. In fact, uh, Augustine, Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, uh, he actually declares and he said something that I think is powerful. Because there are things that we can differ on and there are things that we ought to connect with. Thank you so much, son. He actually says, in the essentials, unity. Everybody say unity. In non-essentials, thank you as well, son. Gabriel, he, they, yo, my kids are not playing any games. As my grandmother would say, that man making sport at all. Not at all. So look, 
In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And then he says, in all things, everybody say all things, charity. And so the fact of the matter is, in essentials, unity. In other words, there are things that we call close-handed issues. Somebody say close-handed issues. In other words, these are things that are deal breakers for Christianity. In other words, for example, like, because there are people today that do not hold to these deal breakers. And they think that's okay. Like, no, no, no. Jesus, the fact of the matter is, Jesus actually came to the earth. He didn't, like, there were docetists, for example. Uh, everybody say docetists. And there's this thing called docetism that arose in the early church. And it was the idea that Jesus came, uh, that Jesus was God, but he only appeared to be flesh. He only appeared to be human, dokine, this idea of him just, and this was an idea that was proposed as something that was true. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and onward, uh, the apostle John, he actually makes it clear that we've got to be careful as we are receiving things or things that sound like they are in the name of Christ. He says, and he makes it clear in 1 John chapter 4, and write them down, I'm going quickly. Uh, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he says, don't believe every spirit. Just because they show up and they're saying Jesus and they sound cool and they're telling you that, you know, this is going to be cool and this is going to be better and your life is going to change and all this stuff. We, the Bible says, in these last days, we will heap to ourselves teachers having itching ears. We just want people to give us eargasms. And so we run around. Y'all didn't know that was a thing, did you? And he says, test the spirits. And then notice, this was, he's actually combating docetism. What I was telling you about, that Jesus, people believe that Jesus didn't actually, wasn't actually flesh, but he just appeared to be flesh. Here it is. He's combating it. Look what he says in verse 2. It says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's an example of an essential. People today, for example, that don't believe the Bible is the word of God. That is an essential. We believe the Bible is inerrant. We believe the Bible in its original manuscripts is infallible. And many people, can I just stand flat-footed as a young person and declare this stuff today? I mean, I know it's not popular anymore. People think, oh, that this is just some figurative thing and everything's just allegorical and it's just all this stuff. No, you know that there are documents that we have more copies of the New Testament and fragments and all of this than some of the authors uh, uh, from around that time period that we don't even question. And so the fact of the matter is, we believe that the Bible in its original manuscript is infallible, is without error. We believe that Jesus was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We believe she was actually a virgin. Come on, somebody. We believe that God is one essence in two natures. That I mean, that Jesus rather is one essence in two natures. That He is uh, that He is fully God and fully man. This is why docetism was a mess. Because it was teaching that Jesus wasn't actually a man. How many of you know that he was God enough to forgive us of our sins, uh, but he had to be man enough to die for our sins? If he just appeared to be a man, but he wasn't actually a man, then what he did on the cross don't even count. 
I love it. This is this. So, so when we're talking about essentials, like the deity or the godness of Christ, of who Jesus is, that he's fully God and he's fully man, that the word is an infallible word of God. Like those are things that are essentials. Somebody say essentials. Unity. This is where there's unity. Then he says in non-essentials, liberty. In other words, some people, churches teach that women shouldn't wear pants. Do I think that, that that's the truth? No. I think that that is personally, I do not agree with that, with that idea. I'm not, I'm not going to be disrespectful, but I want you to understand that, what, like I've taught this recently, what we consider as pants today wasn't even in existence when the scriptures they use to talk about how women shouldn't wear pants, when they use those scriptures, men were wearing what we would consider as dresses and skirts. They'd be looking at people in the empires that they're talking about. So it's, it's, it's just, you know, but it's okay for us to disagree. If, you, if you're a woman and you don't want to wear, wear pants and you want to wear skirts, go for it. That's your prerogative. I, but you're still my sister in Christ. Come on, somebody. If you want to wear a doily on your head when you pray, go for it. I don't think there's biblical grounds for that either. But if you, in terms of what's relevant for us today... But if you want to do that, go for it. That's not an essential doctrine. And we go higher. If you want to speak in, there's people who believe, we believe in speaking in tongues here at, at Serve City. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are continuing, are still intact and still in force today. And that Jesus, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can cause the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit to be active in our life. We believe in that here. But there are other people who say, nah, I think that it ceased uh, after the apostles went out. And for us... We're like, no, we disagree with you, but we can disagree with you and you, even though you disagree with us, we can still have liberty and say, you know what? Fact of the matter is our different, there are differences of opinion on things that are non-essentials so we can be still brothers and sisters in Christ and have this liberty. Some people believe, can I just keep going down the line? Some people believe that it's an, a, a, a sin to drink alcohol. Bible doesn't teach it as a sin to drink alcohol. The Bible teaches that the Bible teaches that drunkenness is a sin. So anything in excess is a sin. Come on, because see, so there's a lot of people that come against uh, drinking, but they don't come against overeating. And so you can eat as much as you want. You can go to the, the buffets and and take ten rounds. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But as long as you don't touch the alcohol, even if it's just one glass of wine, long you don't touch it. You see what I'm saying? But the bottom line is that there's so much hypocrisy, man. I mean, like, and double standards. But the bottom line is you can still disagree on non-essentials. And at the end of the day, you can have the liberty that's there. So he says, in, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Come on, somebody. I love this because fact of the matter is, even if you, uh, if you disagree with someone, you still can be charitable to them. The Apostle Paul, I love this. He, he says something real cool because you're like, what if you know that somebody's just a waste you? But they're pretty, you don't know what a waste you is. Okay, like, again, at this Toronto slang just is just always in me, guy. It just won't, it's just hard to, hard to leave. Waste you to somebody that, like, you know, is just whatless. Is whatless a word? Like, what, wor worth, worthless. Worthless. In other words, they're just going about their day and they're just doing... You know, they're not, they're just wasting their time and, you know, not doing anything of worth. There we go. My bad. But look, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18, says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy 
and rivalry. This is Philippians 1 verse 15 to 18. But others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Stay with me. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But look what he says in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So he's like, even when I know of people who are preaching the gospel with the wrong motive or they might be acting crazy or they might be, you know, uh, they differ from me or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, in the essential of the gospel, he says he still rejoices because the gospel is preached. And he knows that there's still the potential for somebody to be saved, even in a position where he may disagree. This is why, uh, here's point number two, and I'm almost done. Point number two, disagreement is not a license for disrespect. So this is what I'm saying. It's like, can I just talk about it? Like you, this is what I'm talking about. You do not have a license because you disagree with someone who is in the body of Christ. And some of us need to grow the faith up, man. See what I did there? Going around being disrespectful. What happened to the fruit of the spirit? I'm telling you, some of the most self-proclaimed spirit-filled people. The meanest people you'll ever meet in your life. What happened to the fruit of the Spirit? That's more important than your January tongues. Is love, joy, and peace. Come on, somebody. The fact of the matter is, you di- even though you disagree, it's not licensed for disrespect. Even in disagreement, we can still agree. You know what we can agree on? To disagree. And to do so respectfully. And so the fact of the matter is it's imperative. Can I tell you this? Uh, This is why you don't burn bridges because you don't know what God is doing in the heart of the person that might be rejecting the thing that you think that they need to know. God might be working on them in that moment. Come on. Or he might work on them down the line. And if you burn down the bridge in disrespect, when they come to cross it, there's no way for them to get to you. Man, I've found over the years, I do not judge what God is doing in the lives of somebody based on their immediate response. I've had the most stone-faced people that have opposed the gospel and the truth in that moment that they're hard-faced and they are that way, that they respond a certain way. Later down the line, those same people come back in an incognito flex and I'm grateful that they di- I did not burn down the bridge. And so the fact of the matter is, it's imperative that our, we understand that our disagreement is not a license for disrespect. And so I, I, I want to I go on before I share uh, one other thing that we can talk about unifying around. Talked about unifying around the gospel. We talked about unifying around the Eucharist, which is, again, uh, uh, heads up. We're going to begin celebrating weekly as of the month of August. So I've been challenging you, prepare yourself. This is going to be a sh- uh, something that is going to be a shift for us. We, we, we come around this. Today I talked about us, you know, coming around the, the day that Jesus rose from death. Because it reminds us of the, the fact that, you know, the resurrection is true. You know, and we believe that he really rose. That's an essential, you know. And, and, and so I want to share some other things. But I want you to understand this because many of us, where we are disagreeing, we actually are not disagreeing. 
The reason why you think that you're disagreeing and I think that I'm disagreeing with people is oftentimes because we learned about them through their enemies. So you never actually talked to somebody, but you are going based on a caricature or presuppositions that's based on what your mama said at the table. Come on, somebody. Or based upon what was said from the pulpit. But you know, you know how many people I, 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 I told I was telling uh, we were, were training deacons right now. They're getting ready uh, to be uh, ordained as deacons in our church. And I was telling them as the lead senior pastor, I am the chief repenter. I lead, I, I want to lead in repentance because I am constantly finding stuff that what I thought I was right about that I'm wrong about. And instead, I, I'm like, Jesus, make my heart so desirous of being like you and loving your people. Come on, somebody that break, break, break away everything that's a barrier that doesn't need to be a barrier. Can I tell you that I believe things about people and stereotypical stuff and other believers that was not true until I actually went and talked to one or listened to what they had to say aside from their enemies? Here we go. Uh, uh, point number three, and I'm done on this one. Don't just learn about others through their enemies. Don't just learn about others through their enemies. I'm telling you so much. It's just like, it's just like, race stuff i'm just talking about there are things that many of us believe about other races and other people groups it's based upon stereotypes based upon conversations at dinner based upon things that we heard based upon one interaction with one person and you just caricatured and just labeled an entire people group based on your one experience Based on one experience with one church or a couple congregations. And now you say, forget God because of what happened with one church or two churches. Are you with me? And it's imperative that we don't just learn about others through their enemies. I'm telling you, you know, especially when you're growing up and you come from a certain belief system, you don't go to YouTube to be like, what are the positives about such and such? You're looking for 10 reasons why this denomination is hellbound. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Seven reasons why you should never, you know, why your foot will catch on fire if you walk through those doors. It's like that's the lens that we usually talk about things through. And you find that you have more common ground or that things that you believe that people believe that they don't actually believe it. Like, yes, there are some things that are dangerous and we definitely need to stay against. That's why I said in essentials unity. There are things that, no, we say, nah, we're not going to do that. If you're running around telling people that they need to speak in tongues to be saved, nothing. That is aside from scriptures. That's different from you believing that someone should speak in tongues and some people believing that others should speak in tongues. But when you're running around telling people to put trust in tongues, you know how abusive that is? I know people who have died thinking they're going to hell because they never spoke in tongues. That is a messed up gospel. That's not good news. And people who have had the desire in their heart, they were boohooing and snotting at the altar and trying. And some of them end up faking it because they're so desirous of getting this thing. I'm telling you, it's, there's some dangerous stuff out there. When you're telling people that their salvation is attached to a pork chop, we say, nah. 
Jesus did not put on flesh and come all the way to the earth. Come on, somebody, to jump on a cross and to die for my sins and have a cat of nine tails made out of broken bone and shell to rip out flesh out of his back and a cat and a seventy-two a crown of seventy-two thorns stuck in his head and pierced in his side with blood and water gushing out. He did not go through all of that for my salvation to be based on a pork chop or a piece of shrimp and there are literally churches that tell you if you eat that stuff you're hellbound that is foolishness so i'm saying that is an attack against the things that are essential no we believe salvation is by grace through faith in what jesus has done and what jesus has done alone come on somebody and I, we respond to what he has done. And this is, we don't add to what he has done because we cannot add to what he has done. So it's important for us to make sure that we are to the place where we are understanding that we are to be unified on essentials. That we have to have liberty as it pertains to the things that are non-essential. And that no matter what, we have to be in the place of charity. And you know, there's something when I talk about things that unify us. And next week we'll end this series and I encourage you. I'm looking forward to sharing to close this out. There's something that I love that I think is really cool that many of us think and that, you know, started early in church history. And many of us think that it's just a Roman Catholic thing. Or many of us feel and think that it's just a superstitious thing. And the fact of the matter is that there are many people who actually do do it out of superstition but the fact of the matter is doesn't mean that that is the reasoning for its origination in the early church and thereafter the years that were shortly after even up till now this is why you still see people doing this we learn about the sign of the cross and christians did this early on to remind themselves it's so deep y'all about the trinity father son and holy spirit to make sure that they're unified around this but not to have a holistic perspective of God, but also to remind themselves of the cross of Christ. And it's just powerful stuff. And it was amazing when I was learning about like hand gestures and how they used to do this. We find, you know, and, and just to give you some history real quickly, that uh, it was just amazing that Tertullian, who was an African church father, is from Carthage, which is modern uh, Tunisia today he wrote we Christians wear out our foreheads with the sign of the cross this was in 200 this is in the third century Athanasius of Alexandria he was one that played a massive role in what we hold to today as the New Testament the 27 books of the New Testament also in the third and fourth century from third and fourth century he says by signing the holy uh, the signing of the holy and life-giving cross devils and various scourges are driven away for it is without price and without cost and praises him who can say it the holy fathers have by their words transmitted to us and even to the unbelieving heretics how the two raised fingers and the single hand revealed christ our god is in his dual nature but single in substance like we were saying of one essence and two substance the right hand proclaims the immeasurable strength his sitting 
on the right hand of the Father and his coming down unto us from heaven. And it's crazy. He says, again, by the movement of the hands from the right, the enemies of God will be driven out. And the Lord triumphs over the devil with his inconquerable power, rendering him dis dis dismal and weak. It's interesting because if you look at how those in the east would do the sign of the cross, they put their three fingers together at the top which represents the unity of the Trinity. And then they would have their two fingers pointed down, speaking about how Jesus became incarnate and came down. And they have two fingers to represent the split, uh, the split nature of Christ, that he's fully God and fully man. Oh my God. So it's theology. Some of us think, oh, people are just doing this. And there are people that just do this just for the heck of it. And some of y'all might have bad memories and all this stuff in regards to it. And I don't want to nullify those things. But I want you to understand this is why Christians have done this for years. To mark themselves with the sign of the cross. To remind themselves of all these things. Some would do it with an open hand in the West. And they have the open hand to remind themselves of the five wounds of Christ. So it's like, I, I just want to challenge us around. These are things that we find that are in church history, like the Nicene Creed and like all these various things that we hold to. Am I telling you you got to do that? No, you don't got to do that. That's not the point. Even some, when they come into the church and they have a holy water font that's on the outside, some of us think this holy water is just for the heck of it. What they would do is, if some of you may have even grown up like this, on the way into the, to the sanctuary, they dip their finger in the holy water and do the sign of the cross to remind themselves of their baptism. It's like, I just, I, I, I love church history. Anybody else? Like, I mean, th th it gives meaning and understanding to why people do stuff. So if you thought it was just, oh, this is just some superstitious thing and there's no meaning to it and it just originated from the devil and all that stuff. It's another one of those things that people do to remind themselves of the cross of Christ. As Paul said, I seek to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I just, I want to challenge us. I want us to understand. Sometimes what you think people are doing is actually not what they're doing. Sometimes you think you understand and you think because of what you heard, don't judge people based on that. It's imperative for us to get to the place where we find common ground. And if, even if we disagree and we say, you know what? We can't walk together and now we can't agree and you might be wrong. That even in that, no, nah, we don't go to throwing blows and we don't go to being disrespectful and talking crazy and all that. But we still are to the place where there is charity and where we leave the door open for God to do his thing if he so chooses. I hope this was a blessing to you. If this was a blessing to you, go ahead and put those hands together and give the Lord <laughs> praise.